Unsexy Business with Jamie Waller. Hi, this is Jamie Waller and welcome to my new series of podcasts called Unsexy Business. The podcast ties in with the release of my new book of the same name, details on that later. In this series, I'll be talking to a range of business owners and entrepreneurs. This isn't about Silicon Valley style corporations or the latest tech initiative. This is about traditional business models, thoughts and plans that could easily have begun in a pub or your own garden shed. Simple ideas that have become multi-million pound companies. It's these stories that interest me. From plumbers to parking, penny suites to second-hand cars, I'll be meeting the people behind some of Britain's most successful businesses. Welcome to Unsexy Business. My guest this week is Kate Lester. Kate is the founder of Diamond Logistics, the national courier business. After leaving school before taking any exams, she set up her company at the age of just 20 back in 1992. Today, they are forecasting revenues of over £40 million. I began by asking Kate what her initial motivation was for starting a business. I just wanted to be the purveyor of my own destiny. I was genuinely never one of those kids who thought, you know, I want to grow up and be a doctor or I want to be a vet or or anything to that effect. I knew that I wanted to be very wealthy um, and that was important to me, not because of what money represented other than freedom um, and the right to choose what you want to do when you want to do it and also to replicate for my children that I had very young the kind of lifestyle that I had in the UK um, in a, that, that, that people normally have in Australia. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? So to replicate that lifestyle over here, you have to be considerably more wealthy than you had to be at that point in Australia. Um, so that's the only thing I really kind of thought of. But, it, you know, it was it's only by chance that my business of 25 years has turned out to be my dream job you know for the first 18 or 19 I think it was fairly tough actually it's only the last sort of seven which is the scale part of it um, uh, which has been the super fun bit so I was working self-employed as a cleaner and um, for this courier company and I'm in this courier company it's really straightforward you know you've got customer service and you've got managing resources you know that's what all businesses are really and i just thought there was such opportunity there and and same day courier is like the fourth emergency service it's like the epitome of really good quality service and and managing really amazing resources and it's really dynamic and it's all about people and you know the, the technical innovation in 1992 that we were all really really worried about when I launched my business was the facts so well the, we lost one of our first jobs um, when uh, one of our packages flew out the back of a motorcyclist uh, box um, for Oracle, who was one of my first clients, actually. And it was like a 72-page document or something to that. They said, oh, don't worry about it, we'll fax it. And I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach that, oh, my God, the fax is going to erode the courier market. <laughs> but little did I know that then there'd be ISDN, and so that would be the artwork that would go, and then there'd be secure dis- um, document distribution, so then that would be all the legal stuff. And so, actually, courier has been one of those markets that if you didn't massively evolve where you were going you would have died and which is why so many courier companies that are around 25 years ago don't exist today yeah so basically um myself and one of the couriers toby welburn um negotiated with them to um buy goodwill on the condition that they paid the phone bill and um uh, paid the rent the backdated rent of which they did neither and as a result i went to one of their clients and just said listen this company's going down the pan would you work with us and they said yes and the rest is history i'm not very employable frankly and um i think i have an innate sort of uh desire to be the purveyor of my own destiny Mm. and and there was opportunity there I think that's part of being really entrepreneurial actually 
in the same way you're now investing in loads of different companies and all the rest of it. We see opportunity everywhere. The most difficult thing for us as entrepreneurial type people is not is trying to actually focus on one thing as opposed to not seeing opportunity. You know, it, it, we can always see opportunity in great businesses. And, and at that point in time, and a lot of people would have been put off by it. You know, Courier was in a declining market. Technical evolution, you know, meant that it was on the down low. I know quite a lot of, you know, people who sold their sort of Courier companies for nothing after 20, 25 years of owning them um, because their, you know, market share just eroded and eroded and eroded. So in my first year, my drawings from the entire business were 5,000 whole pounds. Um, in the second year, by which time I had Chloe, my daughter, my drawings from the business were 11,000 pounds and I paid the um, administrator who also did childcare duties, £14,000. So, you know, the drawings were tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of, you know, rents and all that kind of stuff, you're talking six, ten grand, whatever the rates were on top of that. It just kept your, you know, so in in the courier industry, although you've got, you know, what may look like great revenues, you've got a very high percentage of that that goes on the um, uh, cost of sales. So if you're talking about a gross margin of like 40%, then you've got 60% of that would be going on the couriers effectively. Um, or, you know, overnight carriers or, you know, whatever it is that you're um, doing. When um, I went into labour with Chloe, my mum said, where are you? I said, I'm just delivering a package in Petersfield. I said, but I've got terrible backache. And she goes, would you think it might be labour, Kate? It is only a week until you're due. And I went, oh, maybe. I don't know. Just let me get a proof of delivery before I deliver here as well. So... I worked uh, 60 hours a week, I guess. Um, I had two weeks off when Chloe was born. I went straight back to working 60 hours a week. She stayed with me um, full-time for four months, and then I had a girl part-time who popped in from about 10 o'clock in the morning, because it wasn't fair, because by the time she was four months old, she was sort of awake a bit more. Um, But she popped in from sort of 10 o'clock in the morning to about four o'clock in the afternoon, but used to bring her back for feeds because I was feeding her as well. The um, opportunity you have when you get a large client is that you're up and running and it's working. Um, the uh, negative side of that or the downside of having a big client to start with is that potentially speaking you get caught up operationally speaking you don't sell so much so one way or another I would have made it work my salary in 96 I think was about 26,000 or something to that effect so not huge at all but enough to keep my head above water and to look after my kids and so I got introduced to an association called the National Courier Association and an association called the Dispatch Association. So I was hanging around with people who had businesses that were, you know, four, five, six times the size of mine. And, and a couple of meetings every year. So a load of people who were in the same industry, but in non-competing areas, had an opportunity to get together and talk. Um, and I learned a lot off of people who had had their businesses for a lot longer than me. Um, and were much older than me, frankly, a couple, you know, 20 years older than me. Um, and that was one of the key learning phases in terms of my business development. Up until then, 92 to 96, I was just reading as many business books as I could and taking guidance from my dad, basically. From 96 up until the sort of like um, 2000s, I guess, um, that was a really important part of um, yeah, learning from other people in the industry. You're listening to Unsexy Business. My guest this week is Kate Lester, the CEO of Diamond Logistics. If um, worrying about not being able to peel daunts, you don't run a company. If raising capital, I've had a franchise recently that's bailed out today because he couldn't um, raise match capital for what he wanted to put into the business. He's got all the money saved. And I just said to him, if you haven't got the balls to put your money where your mouth is, then you're not going to be good enough to run a franchise. Don't do it. If you haven't got the balls to do it, don't do it. Stick with your PAY job on your five weeks holiday a year. 
Because, you know, business isn't easy. It's not for the faint-hearted. And I think there's far too many people who go into business and just think it's going to be wafting around in Costa on Wi-Fi, you know, doing some amazing sort of consultancy and all the rest of it. And it's not. You know, the banks will say no, and your employees will be really shitty to you, and you can be really nice, and people will still think you're an asshole. Um, and there's no friends, you know, with people that you um, sort of employ regardless of what you might think and customers that you can be getting up at three o'clock in the morning for for 20 years can get a new MD and then tell you to bugger off. It's not for the faint hearted. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I don't come from a, a background whereby, um, you know, my dad's friends would have had the money to invest in my startup. You know, I didn't go to business school. Um, you don't know what you don't know. So if I hadn't, if I was unhappy with where I am today, then all the roads that had led me to here would have been challenging. But I just think all the mistakes I made maybe in the first sort of 19 years of business and all the lessons that I learned actually created the formula which is making the business very successful today. So I guess maybe it just took me 19 years to be an overnight success. Um, and 2012, the Olympics in 2012 had done this amazing job of actually outlining what logistics meant to people and what we could possibly do and all the rest of it. And I read this book called The 4-Hour Working Week, and it was talking about outsourcing everything. And I was just thinking, Jesus, we could outsource. We, we could be the warehouses for all these people who want to run these online businesses. Because all these online businesses want to waft around um, Costa and do a little bit of work on Wi-Fi and order their products for China and all the rest of it. They don't want to do all the warehousing and logistics. But we can do all the warehousing logistics. We can provide the logistics platform on what on which these businesses can grow. I was working pretty hard in the consultancy. So the consultancy was really lucrative, frankly. Um, and but, um, but they always started off as consultancy. And I often get got bought in in terms of the sales and marketing kind of thing. But, of course, you're sitting there and people go, there's something wrong with my business. I need to do sales. And you go in there and you're going, it's not the sales that's fucked in this business. This is fucked in this business. And so then you do a little report to them saying, thing is, you think it's sales. But what you really need to look at is your night warehouse. Because your night warehouse is causing all the customer services problems during the day. The customer services problems during the day is why sales is getting involved in operations and sales is getting involved in operations because your client attrition is really bad and if you sort out the service side of it then this is going to restore your entire business so of course they go ah can you do that then because I don't know how to do that and so then you get involved and, and that's what happened so that's what happened with this last one I took the business from oh a couple of million quid uh, and, and sort of doubled its revenues in about 18 months um, including a little bit more than that including an acquisition and then literally he put a deal in front of me and um, to give me a 25% shareholding of his business in order for me to continue to run it. And then we were going to talk about the merger with Diamond sort of later on, even though I was a little bit dubious about the business model. My ego and ambition thought the millions of pounds worth of revenue was a little bit more reflective of what I was capable of running. And then... Um, a friend of mine said, you better make sure he actually signs that. And I said, no, it's fine. I've got an email. We're shaking hands and all the rest. He says, no, he's a dodgy little shit, honestly. Make sure he signs that. And I thought, A, I don't want to work with a dodgy little shit. And B, don't diddle me on this. And I went into him. I said, you need to sign this. This has been on... This is... He proposed it in April. This was August. And he said, I don't think I can. And I went, right, that's it. Fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. So I'm a really slow learner. Really, really slow learner. That's happened a few times. Walking out of that was really hard. So telling him, he said, you know, basically babysit the business for me for August and we'll talk about it in September. I said, you can fuck off if you think I'm going to babysit your business whilst you go fishing for the summer. Um, so Diamond wasn't doing that well. I had to um, uh, go, I was divorcing. Uh, Diamond um, was not making a huge amount of profit. 
um, and was worth nothing. Um, and uh, I was able to stay in that consultancy if I wanted to, but I just felt I was being shafted. So that was 2011 and I just thought, no, enough's enough. I felt really stressed, actually. Really, really stressed. Sustaining all of that, um, particularly with this deal going sour with this guy that I'd done all this work with. I, I felt, yeah, really quite overwhelmed. I think forward motion is very important for me, absolutely. And not feeling trapped is very important for me. So again, you know, I guess uh, in terms of entrepreneurial traits quite a lot of us like our own freedom and being accountable to ourselves um so and forward progress is important to me so I, I hate it when I feel like I'm walking through treacle that's a real physical sort of thing to me a better way of describing it is consolidated delivery so um rather than so you've got dedicated delivery which people call same day and that's literally your consignment being chauffeur driven from a to b like it was a uh, being taxied or chauffeured um and your overnight or consolidated delivery means that all your consignments are picked up um, by a van but then they are taken to a hub in Birmingham and then they are distributed via that hub in Birmingham which is then taken to local depots all around the countryside and then they're delivered by multiple vans so there is far higher margin for error in the consolidated delivery it's not hand delivered so if it's very very precious or very very time sensitive then you want to go for a same day delivery Um, but if it's your Amazon journals or diaries or coffee or print or whatever it is then the reality is is that many of the consolidated services now are exceptionally good i mean like you know service standards of over 98 percent and so therefore it is worthwhile um so um we integrate with the carriers tracking system so technology has enabled that um some parts of the um, supply chain are still relatively low in terms of their technology like the pallet deliveries and things but even they are like sort of coming to the fore the, the reduction in terms of the price of tech over the last half many years has really meant that there's been a massive increase in how we've been able to utilize these things for scale so we've got all these accounts with all these amazing carriers and they deliver all that overnight stuff for us we've also got loads of you know self-employed couriers and they deliver all the same day for us and then we've got loads of franchises now and that's how we scaled our businesses that actually have the warehouses and they do all the storage and fulfillment for all all our clients locally as well people who provided tape to strap up rugby players legs to drones to supplements to clothing to shoes to homewares Um, mostly it's online again they're a very tech-led sort of business it's made sales a lot easier for us so um, fulfillment's such a booming industry and plus our service levels and our boutique tailoring so you know we're not amazon um uh in terms of being very prescriptive and, and you have to fit into our box or whatever so basically you know we have a lot of um businesses whereby they are scaling out of their storage room or um you know starts in the garage then it fills up the living room then it fills up the spare bedroom and then their partner says if you don't get this out of here i'm divorcing you so they approach us for a a couple of pallets of storage in our business and then we dispatch it so our franchises can have really stable business growth because they've got long-term business relationships again if i looked at all the things that we wanted to incorporate in the new business model it was all the things that diamond had for its first 20 years so really long-term relationships with our clients you know i I work with mclaren now that's 20 years i've had that account um 25 and a half years i've had barlow's accounts um 
Uh, so being able to bespoke what it is that you're doing to the client so that it actually kind of fits, um, that's really important because new scaling innovative businesses need stuff to be done a little differently. Um, and never having a press one for this department, press two for this department, press three for this department, make the people at the end of the phone, you know, the people that they want to be working with every day because they're very much part of their team. We are another, Diamond is an extension of your business team. And then they sign up a legal agreement which tells them how they should be trading. Um, and then you support, you train them in your methodology and then you support them through launch and training with an ongoing support package, which is much bigger than you think it's going to be um, and much more touch points and all the rest of it. And the BFA, they're, they're actually really useful, by the way, the British Franchise Association. Um, but they say it takes five years for your um, franchise operation to uh, take root and probably get to a sort of you know perspective of you really knowing what you're doing and all the rest of it and I said nah we'll do that much sooner than that but they're completely right it's about five years all our original franchises um, are coming to a growth phase they're coming to a scale phase of their business so for the top eight franchises in our group they've got masterclass with me this year which is a day a month with me, with eight of us round a table and us taking them through general business education in terms of how they scale their business. So, you know, quite um, full on in terms of people and resourcing and psychological support and all that kind of stuff. So quite a lot. I am not a franchisee and um, I am. Uh, so this is, again, one of the things we have to look at in a franchise. You need a franchise who has got sufficient gumption to wake up every morning and have the motivation to understand that he is the purveyor of his own destiny. Um, but also he or she needs to be um, sufficiently um, mindful that they are adhering to a set of very prescriptive rules. So that's why a franchise is a challenging person to recruit because finding someone who is motivated and rule you know, will listen to rules is actually quite a mix. So that, again, that's part of the psychological profiling and stuff that we do right at the start to make sure we get it right. Um, so I then basically thought, well, I found it very easy to turn my business into this million pound business. All I need is another 40 businesses that I can turn into million pound businesses. Let me find 40 people I can mentor to create 40 million pound businesses around the UK. And that's what we've done. I, I, I think small business is the heart of what we do, you know, Margaret Thatcher said we were a nation of shopkeepers. We're actually a nation of small business people. And if I can help them deliver to loads of other small businesses, then that's an amazing thing. We've just signed our 20th franchise with three due to open in January. Um, we're hoping to have 40 next year, but that's a sales target, so it's probably more like 30. Um, we will probably uh, peak out around 80, 100 franchises within the next two to three years. Uh, we have aspirations in Europe and beyond. And where are we in terms of revenues? I think our revenue by year close this year will be 10 mil, um, which is the first time we've reached that. Our growth rate has slowed quite a lot whilst we've put quite a lot of foundation stuff in place, including the rewriting of quite a big part of our software. Um, but next year, uh, we're looking back. My target, I want to open in Manchester and Birmingham our own depots. Um, so they will be much, much bigger, like hundreds of thousands of square feet. Yeah, so we're doing a mixture now of franchises and own depots as well. Don't forget, there are 11 business leaders in this series, all with different stories about how they took a very simple idea and transformed it into a multi-million pound success. Sometimes traditional thinking really does pay. All of the interviews featured in Unsexy Business are also featured in my new book of the same name. 
There you can read the more in-depth stories behind these entrepreneurs and their impressive journeys to success. There's also one or two anecdotes that we couldn't possibly put into the podcast, along with hundreds of tips on how you can start and build a successful business too. If you get over to Amazon, you can buy a hard copy or digital version of Unsexy Business now. It is also for sale in most major bookshops, including Waterstones and WH Smith. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe on your podcast app. This means that you'll get each new episode automatically. Do join me next time, and until then, goodbye.